Thanks for listening to the Woodward Podcast Network. Check out more shows by searching for us on Spreaker or wherever you catch your podcasts. The Woodward Podcast Network with Krupka Dental Associates. Hello, this is Dr. John Krupka from Krupka Dental. We now have the Saleo Laser. You can have your fillings done without needles nor drills. We are a full-service dental office and always accepting new patients. To learn more about me and my friendly team, visit KrupkaDental.com. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a Tuesday edition of Focus Fox Valley. Today's focus, Law Talk with Hurling Clark Law Firm here in our number one. Glad that you've joined us, and let's welcome in our guest for the hour. We have joining us on the Settlers Bank phone lines today, attorney Paula Hamer joining us. Paula, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. I'm fantastic, and I'm looking forward to... A really fun, I guess you could say fun hour of, uh, of law talk here today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's kind of dive in here because we're talking a little bit about child support today. And I'm, I'm curious to learn more about this. Our listeners might be curious to learn more about this. And I'll also share that if anyone has a question, they are welcome to email the studio. Go to whby.com, click on email the studio, or you can call us on the Settlers Bank phone lines, 920-281-1150. That is the number. Now, Paula, I know that you are a family law attorney, so child support is something that you deal with quite often, correct? That is correct, pretty much on a daily basis. On a daily beat basis. All right. So we're going to go over some things here today, you know, how child support is set, um, you know, what can the court deviate from in the calculation formula? Can you perhaps change your child support down the road? We'll answer all those questions here today. But let's just maybe start by setting the scene, I suppose. Um, maybe you happen to be getting a divorce and there are children from the relationship. Child support? comes into the picture. So where does it begin, Paula? Where should we start in talking about child support? Yeah. I mean, child support can start in several different situations, like you're just talking about if it is a divorce situation. What happens when people file for divorce, um, generally uh, the petition in order to show cause are going to say, hey, we need to determine what the party's incomes are, what the placement schedule is with regard to the children, and then what type of child support, if any, would be appropriate. So one of the things that happens as soon as you get into court is the court basically evaluates those things. A prime easy example would be if we've got you know two kids um, and the parties make the same amount of money, um, then obviously there would be no child support paid. But if somebody is making more money than the other person, even if you're on a 50-50 schedule, the court balances what the needs of the children are to essentially take a look at both households and try to equalize the children's experience of both households. So if somebody makes $50,000 a year, but their spouse makes $100,000 a year, there is a formula uh, that's very readily available by just even Googling Wisconsin Child Support Calculator that essentially 
uh, matches 25% of one person's income versus 25%, and I say 25% because that's for two children, uh, against the other person's income, and then equalizes it based upon same. So unless you have the exact shared schedule, equal shared placement schedule, and you're making the same amount of money, both parents are, there's going to be a child support situation that is going to be taken into account. That's one way that child support gets started. You also have situations that we deal with where um, the parties were never married, uh, so there needs to be a paternity action uh, started for a child. Uh, there's a child that was born uh, out of wedlock, say the parties were living together or even not living together, but then somebody says, okay, I feel that there needs to be child support. You can apply to the child support agency in your county, and they will look into this matter and basically start a paternity action uh, to, to get child support started. Same thing if we have a situation where, um, you know, people, you know, didn't live together. Maybe one person doesn't even know the other person has had a child, et cetera. Those things all can start the commencement of child support to support that child in both households. Wow. So there's a lot of different scenarios here, <laughs> Paula, sounds mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Interesting. I, I do, I am curious of when were these determinations, uh, you know, when was the formula for child support set? How, how old is it? Do we have a timeline of, of when the state of Wisconsin kind of made these determinations and have they changed it all over the years? Um, you know, honestly, I've been doing this for about 20 years, and it's been the same since then. Really? Um, so it's pretty much a kind of ongoing situation. But that, what happens is DCF um, 150 standard guidelines are what the child support statutes refer to, and that's what the courts uh, refer to. So, frankly, as long as I've been practicing, there really hasn't been any changes in these percentage standards that were set by the department. Um, so those, again, like if you have one child, you're looking at 17%. If you have two children, you have 25%. If you have three children, it's 29%. Four children or more is set at 31%. And then along those percentage lines also obviously come into what the income of the parties um, are between the two of them and then what the placement schedule is. Um, and then that's kind of how that's balanced between um, those support guidelines. Interesting. So I'm, is it safe to assume that child support often comes into play when the parents of a child aren't living together? Is that kind of safe to assume? Yes. If, if there are situations where, you know, say it's a paternity action and then the parties are still living together, the court will generally not assess anybody's child support because you're assuming that you have one household And regardless if you're married or not, both parties are contributing, you know, to that household for that child. It's only when the parties separate that child support really comes into play. Interesting. All right. We're talking with attorney Paula Hamer here today all about child support. And we're learning how it's set and a lot of the different uh, clarifications that go along with it as well. I want to ask about if you potentially have an older child that is part of a previous relationship, not part of the child support action for another child. How is that information taken into account, that kind of detail? Sure. Um, The easiest way to probably explain this is an example. Uh, Let's say that, um, let's say 
uh, mom and dad are married, um, and they have two kids from this relationship. But dad was previously married and has a child from the previous marriage. So what happens is in these situations, if then dad and second wife separate, go through the divorce process, etc., then the court will look at what dad's full income is. So again, easy, you know, easy to use certain numbers like let's say dad makes $100,000 a year. Uh, what the court will do when determining child support for the two kids from the current marriage that is getting divorced, the court will take off 17% of dad's gross monthly income or annual income um, and then run child support off of that reduced amount. So let's say, you know, he's $100,000. Instead of putting $100,000 in the calculation for this second marriage that is now being divorced, the court will look at him as being what's called a serial payer and reduce his income to $83,000 per year because the courts and the legislature assume that he is paying 17% of his gross monthly income for the support of the older child. All right. Hope you're following along with all of this. It's fascinating. We're learning more about child support here today with attorney Paula Hamer with Hurling Clark Law Firm. Let's take a break. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We're able to answer your questions. Again, you can call the studio 920-281-1150 or you can email us. Just go to whby.com and click email the studio to get your questions in. We'll take a short break and return with more Law Talk in just a moment. Welcome back. It's Law Talk time with Hurling Clark Law Firm. I'm Haley Tenpass, and joining us on the line here today is attorney Paula Hamer with Hurling Clark Law Firm. We're talking all about child support today. And, and Paula, there are stereotypes with everything. What stereotypes do you see when it comes to child support? Um, I think a lot of people are under the misunderstanding that no matter what each parent's income is, is if you have a 50-50 placement arrangement that the, no child support would be paid. Um, that's just not, not accurate. Again, following what the uh, Wisconsin statutes dictate, um, essentially anybody who makes more than the other party, even if you're on a shared placement schedule, um, that, that there is going to be child support assessed against the party that makes more. Um, I would also um, probably we see a lot of people that say, oh, well, you know, I'm not working or I have kind of been out of the workforce or et cetera for a few years. And those people may say, well, hey, I don't think I should be assessed at any income. That's just not realistic. Um, what is realistic is the court will essentially impute people if you have a you know able-bodied person that can work a job, depending upon what their skill set is, the court will impute them 
income to be used in the child support formula. So if you aren't working, but you have the ability to make, say, $30,000 a year, the court's going to put you in at $30,000, not zero for an annual income. So that's sometimes something that's hard for people to understand when they're saying, hey, I haven't been working the last few years, or, you know, I was a you know, stay-at-home mom for the last few years, or stay-at-home dad for, a fa- you know, the past few years. That's just not something that is usually sustainable when looking at child support. Interesting. All right. Well, along that same line, that stereotype, um, what if a party is not working or is under or is unemployed? Yeah, again, the court would see what reasonably they should be imputed. Um, But also we may have situations where we think somebody is underemployed. They may have, you know, two master's degrees and are, you know, working at a job that they maybe really enjoy and like doing, but just isn't in what would be an accepted pay scale for them. So if the parties can't agree on what the the, uh, the person that isn't working up to their capacity should be imputed, then a lot of times what we have to do is we hire as the attorneys a vocational expert that will interview the client, get their uh, resume information, see if they are proficient in using computers, you know, um, you know, what their job history has been like. And then they will, as an expert in the case, generally analyze all of that past history, work history, education, um, and ability, and will say, okay, based on this and this and this, this particular client should be able to make, let's say, $50,000 a year. Now, that person may not be making $50,000 a year. They may say, I really like this job I've been doing. I, you know, I only want to work you know, and, and earn $30,000 a year. But that is then a report that somebody, one of the attorneys who's looking to implement that higher wage rate for that client will bring into court and say, our expert has evaluated this person, Uh, This person, you know, has the ability to earn $50,000 a year, uh, not the $30,000 that they're showing as their actual income right now. And again, that number then is generally imputed to them in the calculations. Interesting. All right. We're talking with attorney Paula Hamer here today with Herlin Clark's Law Talk. I do want to ask about, you mentioned, you know, being interviewed in this process or having a statement or being provide, being able to provide a letter of some sort or, or whatnot. Are any other maybe outside voices ever involved in the child support process? I know in the custody process, of course, there are witnesses and interviews taken. But when it comes to child support, are those types of things also done? And I'm thinking, you know, interviews with the kids, um, interviews with loved ones or family members. Members, anything of that sort? Um, generally, what I'd say the most witnesses that you're dealing with with regard to child support would be, again, those vocational experts, um, but also like in situations where if you have a client that was maybe fired for cause from, you know, a $100,000 job um, and now is only making, you know, $60,000 a year, um, what I would do if I was representing the other party Um, is I would call that old employer in, I would be getting personnel records, I would be finding out, you know, if he or she who got fired qualified for unemployment or if it was for cause, meaning that it was, you know, based upon their own violating actions that they got fired. So a lot of times if somebody was fired for cause, you know, they'll say, oh, my new job, I'm only making $60,000 a year. And my response is, 
Yes, I understand that. But but for your actions, et cetera, you would be making $100,000 a year. So that's what I would be asking the court to impute that person. But by, by the other flip of the coin is if somebody was making $100,000 a year and they were, let's say, in an accident, so they no longer can work at that particular job, um, or they were laid off for no cause of their own, uh, just due to business layoffs, et cetera, we still would want those old employers and saying, hey, there was no problem with this person. They were laid off because of economic situations, et cetera. So now it would be reasonable to impute them at their new income. Or if the person was in an accident or something like that and they can no longer work at that capacity, I would be calling in uh, medical experts, their doctors, treating doctors, um, if they've applied for Social Security disability based upon an accident or some health-related issue to then determine what would be the appropriate amount to be imputing this particular individual at for income purposes. Wow. So it sounds like it, it can be very, I, I hate to say complicated, but maybe layered. <laughs> Does that make more yeah. sense? Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you may have cut and dry ones, which are very easy. Both parties are working 40 hours a week. They've been at their same jobs for a long period of time. They're W-2 employees, so it's very clear. You know, th- those are the easy ones where there's no, you know, no weird or strange factors that you have to come into. Um, one of the most uh, probably complex portions are if you have people that own their own businesses, do their own books. Maybe they're a small business, so they don't necessarily have a lot of accountant information, um, things like that. Those ones become uh, more difficult to deal with because of what is legally um, available to be run through businesses, but then the court kind of has to parcel out and say, okay, you know, is this, even though it's being run through the business, et cetera, being deducted from the business, should this be utilized? Um, for child support purposes, too. So those are actually the ones that I think are the most um, time-consuming ones. Interesting. And when we say time, too, what is a general timeline for applying for child support and then ultimately receiving child support? Is there an average time period? Well, I would say that that varies upon the county um, you know, the bigger counties have more courts, more court commissioners to be able to take on more volumes, of, of more of a volume of cases. So I would say in the bigger counties around here, you're looking at probably about a month to get into court by the time that you file your motion or try to get a date. It's about a month later. Again, taking into account if it's holiday season, et cetera, you might be kicked out a little bit further. Um, but I would say it's generally about a month from the time that you are filing for child support that you get into court. Once you get into court and a determination is made, generally we do what's called an interim assignment for child support. Uh, it's an income withholding so that it you know, goes into the court and it goes into the employers to withhold that money from people's paychecks. But that can sometimes take several weeks because we can't control how quickly the employer implements those orders. Um, so a lot of times there is sometimes a bit of a lag. So you're probably looking at about two months from starting of a filing to actually getting your order and then getting the income assignment moving from the employer to grab that child support out of checks. 
Interesting. All right. We're learning a lot about child support here today with attorney Paula Hamer with Hurling Clark Law Firm. We're going to take a break. But when we come back in this next half hour, talking more about uh, alimony, it's now called maintenance. Is that correct, Paula? (laughs) Correct. Uh, It's called maintenance. It used to be termed alimony. Interesting. All right. So some new terminology to talk with you all about. And uh, what if there are some situations like a parent being in jail or a parent receiving disability or a child receiving disability? And can the court ever deviate from that calculation formula we've been talking about here today? We'll answer all those questions as Law Talk continues right here on WHBY. Welcome back. This is Law Talk with Hurling Clark Law Firm, part of Focus Fox Valley and WHBY. I'm Haley Tenpass, and joining us here on our Settlers Bank phone line today is attorney Paula Hamer with Hurling Clark Law Firm, a family law attorney. And today we're talking all about child support learning. A lot, learning a lot, quite frankly, about child support today. And one thing that I learned is that it's not called alimony anymore. It's called maintenance. So let's maybe start with this new uh, terminology in the child support world, Paula. Why was the name changed? Or is it maybe to better understand what alimony meant in the first place, which is some maintenance? Or <laughs> where do we go? I think it really is just um, a term that was changed. Basically, everybody you know, is looking at what these payments are, basically saying we're trying to get somebody into a maintaining a position that they had as if they were still married for a period of time. I think it was just more of the family-friendly, you know, a little bit more understanding what it is as far as, again, it's maintaining a status quo if the court can do that for a period of time. And now what you have is two households. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, there are a lot of different scenarios, like you've mentioned uh, throughout our time so far, Uh, some trickier scenarios than others. And I would imagine this scenario, definitely a trickier one, Uh, a parent being in jail. Let's talk about is child support still possible? What happens in this scenario? Okay. So I've had um, court, different courts treated different ways. Um, depending on what is going on. A lot of times what the courts will do if somebody is in jail or not generally, I would say jail, but prison. If somebody's going to be in prison for a period of time, the courts generally look at it as, you know, this person is not going to be able to, you know, make any money or, you know, if they are, it's essentially going towards their commissary or things like that when they're incarcerated. So what courts generally do during that period of time is they may suspend the child support payments. Um, Not to say that they may not accrue and that um, at the time that the person gets out that all of their obligations are going to be wiped away for that period of time, but a lot of times the courts will at least suspend those payments so they are not being held in contempt, they're not running at interest rates or things like that. 
I've had courts sometimes say, forget it, it's the person who's in prison's you know, fault that they're there. Sometimes I think it may also depend upon what the crime was and how the court views it. If it's somebody with a substance abuse problem that they're really trying to get a handle on, and that's kind of what happened, uh, versus, you know, if somebody has, you know, done a violent crime, something like that, to, to have them incarcerated, the courts can kind of treat it a little bit different ways. But it doesn't ever really relieve the person that is incarcerated from the responsibility, but it may not be a responsibility that's going to be enforced while they're incarcerated, which to is really to the detriment of the parent that is not incarcerated yeah. raising the child, but the courts kind of look at that and say, you know, hey, what do you want us to do about it? We can't, you know, get you anything if he's, you know, serving time or she's serving time because of some violation. Yeah, well, I think that brings up a point, too, you know, in a perfect world, the parent who is, you know, asked to pay child support, they pay it. They pay it every month. They pay on time and in the correct amount. Uh, right. That's a perfect world. Mm-hmm. But we don't yeah. live in a perfect world. And the reality is that some parents maybe skip payments or don't pay at all. When those scenarios pop up, Paula, um, what's your insight on that and the challenges that those who should be receiving child support might face? Yeah, that actually happens quite a lot for numerous reasons. It may be a situation where there's supposed to be a direct payment, say somebody's personally, you know, employed by themselves. So they're self-employed. There is no one to be able to garnish money from their paychecks. Like if you worked at a, a company, a big company, they would just be able to garnish that, right? So if they are supposed to be paying in a certain amount per month um, and they just don't do it, Um, that causes a contempt issue, which I then have to file a motion, find out why they're not paying it, you know, get into their records, find out what's going on with regard to those payments. We also then have situations where people just uh, may quit their job. So if let's say you were working at a corporation, you were paying your $200 biweekly for your child support payment. Well, you quit that job or you lose that job. Well, now no payments are going to be made. Or people jump from job to job and don't um, alert the child support agency so that they know where this person who's supposed to be paying is working, that could cause issues too. So then it causes them to have an arrearage. Um, and if I've got a client that's not getting paid, then I am forced to obviously file a motion, bring them into court and say, why isn't this getting paid? And how can we you know, rectify that situation? You, you missed this many payments. You've got, you know, until December 15th, you know, to, you know, get caught up type of thing. Okay. Let's go back to some scenarios that families might be facing. One being, what if a parent is receiving disability or perhaps their child is receiving disability? How does that factor into child support? Sure. There's a pretty specific bulletin out there from the child support agencies, which is uh, controlled by the Wisconsin Department of Children and Families. And that is kind of the Bible when you're looking at um, how you're going to implement those uh, benefits that people are receiving. Um, Under Wisconsin law, any income that anyone is receiving uh, is generally a taxable or not, even if it's it's not taxable because it is one of those benefits, it's still being able to be utilized as far as an income purpose for child support. So if somebody is getting um, 
if somebody is getting, let's say, you know, $1,000 a month on disability, et cetera, that would be entered in for their income. Now, if the person who is receiving or on benefits for disability is the person who has primary placement of the child, well, then it doesn't even matter because we don't even care about that person's income. But if you're on that shared placement where each party has at least over 25%, 25% or over, of placement with the child, then that comes into play. Same thing if a child is receiving disability and whether it's disability for the child because of the child having issues or if it's disability that flows through the disabled parent, that is also taken into effect and basically allocated between the parties for income based upon the amount of placement time, the percentage of placement time the child is with that parent. We're learning a lot here today of the world of child support. And if you've got any questions, you can always email the studio. Go to whby.com. Click on email the studio. We're going to take a short break and we'll wrap things up here for our hour of law talk with Harlan Clark Law Firm. Stay with us. It's Law Talk with Hurling Clark Law Firm, part of WHBY's Focus Fox Valley. I'm Haley Tenpass. With us here today is attorney Paula Hamer, and we're talking all about child support. And one thing we've been talking about during the hour is this calculation formula that helps determine the amount of child support that is to be paid. I'm curious, and maybe the listeners are curious too, does the court ever deviate from that calculation formula? And if so, what might those circumstances be? Sure. A pretty normal deviation for child support is if one party is insuring the child for health, dental, vision purposes. So let's say, you know, the extra portion that a parent is paying per month is, you know, 100 bucks to keep a child insured. Well, then the court would look at that as being a joint responsibility between the parties and would lower or um, add $50 to the child support amount to cover the non-insuring parents portion of the child's uh, insurance. So that's a very normal, uh, very consistent across the counties and courts uh, deviation to the child support guidelines. Um, If there is a specific health issue or something like that with the child that one party is uh, paying more towards, et cetera, that's something that could also play into a deviation. Uh, Most uh, generally, the deviation that you see very varying across a lot of the courts in this area is if one party lives, let's say, in California, one party lives here in Wisconsin, you know, what is the reasoning that mom or dad lives in California? Um, if they have to do a lot of flights, if there is expense with that, if there is other expenses or just living cost adjustments from California to Wisconsin, the court can take those things into account, too, um, if one parent is having to, you know, buy a plane ticket for $500, you know, every other month for child support purposes. Now, the courts sometimes don't uh, take that into consideration. They can, uh, but it'd be, it would be based upon why did the person move away from Wisconsin if that's where the child was. 
Um, you know, if it was where the parties were in California, but somebody moved to Wisconsin, leaving one person in California, then I think you're going to see much more of a deviation than if it was the other way around, because, you know, sometimes the court looks at that and says, well, you know, you left, so why should we give you a deviation? Um, but a lot of times, depending upon the financial resources of the parties, too, if it really is somebody who needs to get some relief so that they can buy that plane ticket and visit their child, the court can take a look at that, too. Does child support ever get changed down the road? Say that the calculation formula um, is utilized in its full capacity, but a few years go by and circumstances change for one party or the other. Are you able to recalculate, reformulate? How does that process kind of begin? Yep, absolutely. And actually, in the state of Wisconsin, the general default is the child support agency um, and the courts see the passage of 33 months as being a time that you can review if nothing else has changed. Um, But if somebody gets a new job, is paying more, or let's say they lose a job, you know, somebody's involved in an accident, they're now on some disability or things like that. Whenever there is a significant or substantial change in financial circumstances for each party, that opens the door for reassessment and review of child support. The child support, is, it's kind of an interesting thing. People ask a lot if we can just contract, can we just agree? This is what I'm going to pay for child support, and that's going to be what it is forever, no matter what I make, what she makes, he makes, etc. cetera. Um, and we have to tell people, No, you really can't do that. Child support is always reviewable. It's always modifiable because it is something that is based upon the fluid financial situations of the parties and the needs of the child. Okay, we need to wrap up things a little bit here. I want to go back to you're talking about maintenance, which is formerly known as alimony. Um, How is maintenance determined if it's appropriate, Paula? Sure. Um, under our maintenance statute in Wisconsin, we have probably about 10 factors that the, the, that the court looks at. Um, length of the marriage is obviously the first one that anybody looks at. I would say generally the courts look at anything five years and under not being a maintenance case unless there's uh, significant factors that you should deviate from that. You know, five to 15 years, you know, you're looking at a mid-length marriage. Um, so you're looking at, you know, a third, I'd say, to the half length of the marriage for that. Anything over 20 years, uh, a lot of the courts are looking at it being a, an indefinite situation. But it's all based upon, you know, the age and the physical, uh, you know, abilities of each party. What is their earning capacities? Um, did, was somebody a stay-at-home parent for many, many years? Um, but basically what they're looking at there is this a combination of all of these factors to see what is fair and reasonable to try to keep the parties on kind of an even kill for at least a period of time. Um, some courts kind of have a rule of thumb, an unwritten rule of thumb, that it's a third of the length of the marriage no matter what it is. Um, some courts look at it as being it's not a 50-50 division of your disposable income, but it's a 45-55 in favor of the party who's making more money. There's just a lot of factors that go into that, but I would say your most significant factor is going to be, number one, what's the length of your marriage? Number two, also, do we have a prenuptial agreement that attempts to uh, deal with that situation? 
Okay, we've covered so much today, Paula. Uh, there's a lot more to child support than I realized. I'm glad to have your insight today. And if anyone out there is thinking, hey, I think I might need Paula's help, perhaps, how can they get in touch with you or the other attorneys over at Hurling Clark Law Firm? Sure. Hurling Clark, we have uh, numerous offices. We're in Appleton, Green Bay, Wapaka, and Oshkosh. And our general number is 920-739-7366. And also, we've got a big web page if anybody has any questions. We have some blogging on the, and articles on that site, too, that deals with some of these issues. But at hurlingclark.com. Fantastic. Paula Hamer joining us here today with Hurling Clark Law Firm. Thank you so much, Paula, for being part of the show and uh, for, helping, you, for helping us learn more about child support. We appreciate it. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And this has been another edition of Law Talk with Hurling Clark Law Firm. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.